Scott Running are still hammering their super great special at the moment on the fantastic Pursuit Road Shoe. Get yourself a pair for $99, and if you're after something a bit more trail, check out the Kinabalu 2, also on sale for $99. Both these shoes are epic, and the K2 has the best colorway of any Scott shoe going, in my not-so-humble opinion. Check out these shoes and more at scottrunning.nz. I've been raving about uh, the Ultra Spire Big Bronco for a few months now. I managed to pick myself up one of these, and it is... Again, in my humble opinion, one of the best Ultra Spire packs I've ever worn. It has enough space for all the gear. It fits tight to your body. It breathes well. The bottles are secure. You can fit everything in. And most excellently, there's very few zips to corrode, get stuck, get wet. Head over to ultraspire.nz to check out the Big Bronco race vest. It's epic. Wild Things, the New Zealand Trail Institution. VIP discounts are now, it used to be free months, you put the code DCR2023 and you'd get a couple of free months, but now if you want to become a VIP at Wild Things, you get shop credit. So any new VIP member gets $20 credit to drop in the Wild Things store and they get the VIP discount with that too. Trail directory, community, amazing resource, wildthings.club. Sam Harvey, he's been on the show a couple of times. He's been building up to the big backyard, and as I speak, he's a couple of hundred k's deep into the big's backyard, which is the world champs of the backyard format. He's using currents to aid in his recovery and keep the inflammation at bay. And if you head to currents.co.nz to read up on the science behind these wondrous little purple capsules, you'll get 20% off your first order of currents 30 with the code. Dirt Church, support local, support currents, and as always, reject the black current industrial complex. Last but not least, it's further faster, and it's the mega sale. The mega sale is back from Friday the 27th to October to Saturday the 4th of November. Head over to 57A Buchan Street, Sydenham, Otutahi Christchurch to check out 50% off samples and end of lines. And the best thing about this is they have recycled, upcycled gear for sale at up to 75% off. We love Further Faster. They love us. They're the best independently owned outdoors wear store in the known universe. Check them out. 57A. Sydney Street, Otutahi, or go to furtherfaster.co.nz. Get it. Does something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Dishish Radio. Episode 253 of Dirt Church Radio. I'm Matt Raymond. I am Eugene Bingham, tēnā koutou katoa. Welcome back to the car park. It's not karaoke. Inside of the Outback. Yeah, inside out. Uh, Back in the forest, back in the Rugby World Cup final. I know, it's hard not to get excited. It is, it is. And we know not all of you are into rugby, but still, it is exciting. It is exciting. We were excited. Yeah. We were excited. (laughs) Uh, And it's good, yeah, it's good. We've just had a good run in the forest. Yeah, amazing. Uh, definitely looks like we are getting into the warmer part of the year. I mean, we didn't get a summer last year. 
this year. Well, yeah, that's right. Really? We didn't. We didn't. Yeah, we missed out. Um, and the, it's, it's so good getting back on trails that are not mud, just mud puddles mm. the entire way. Mm. Um, you took me on a, a trail that I haven't run for about 10 years today. It was amazing. Yeah, it's lovely. It's just... <laughs> And this is germane to the conversation that we had with our guest this week, Amy Whitehead. Connection, memory, neuroplasticity, all of those things, all of the benefits of running, which is, is, that sounds quite simplistic, but these are all things, you know, connection, friendship, new experiences, Hmm. uh, learning uh, helps to fight against the onset of dementia and this is something that Amy Whitehead, you know, is very dear to her heart. You know, like many people, she has been, had a whānau member who has had dementia. And, and this week we caught up with Amy, who's taking on uh, the cool challenge of what she's calling adventure for dementia, which you'll, you'll hear more about. But this is, uh, you know, this, there, there is an interview element, but also uh, I managed to... Uh, now come after, as well as the west coast of the South Island, the middle half of the North Island as a whole. Yeah, no, I mean, no, spoiler alert, you know, don't, don't give it away, you know, I think people should hang around. Um, it also turned into a bit of a prosecution of various individuals, guests, and basically alumni of DCR, didn't it? Including yourself, I think you got blamed as well at one point. Yes. But there's all <laughs> sorts of people get thrown on the bus, under the bus in this episode, uh, it's quite fun, but look, mostly it's a celebration of Amy and what she's doing, and it's super cool, and the challenge that she's doing is amazing, um, so hang around for that. Also, Kepler. Yeah, intimate. Like Kepler royalty, basically. Intimate familial connection with Kepler, and um, shares, uh, you know, one of the best things about this interview is she shares uh, an antipathy, uh, probably rivals, if not exceeds mine, of Bananas. Oh, yeah, that too. There's mm. a lot of stuff. A lot mm. of hatred L- came out. A lot to unpack. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. It's a very visceral episode. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a Mount Summit. might just be a run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from Jenny Rankin. I should provide some context for this greatest run ever. My dad, at the young age of 62, has early onset dementia, which is quite advanced. He can't talk more than a couple of jumbled words a day, but he understands what we talk about, and you can see from the light in his eyes when he's excited. For the last few months, my small family has been living with my parents, so the day-to-day care of my dad has been a shared activity. A week prior to the run that was my greatest run ever, I turned around to my other half and said I really need to do the ultra beer run from the trail directory. It's an itch I need to scratch, it's on my bucket list, and if I die tomorrow I'd regret not having ticked it off. He turned around and said, well, next weekend is free, so go for it. So I jumped on that. My mind, I'd been prepping for how I'd accomplish it, so I just needed to get the wheels in motion. Already I'm liking the title. Yeah. It's, 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 it's resonating with me. <laughs> the night before the run, I had my mum and dad lined up to be watery supply at the three-quarter mark and my other half on childminding and finish line pickup. And as mobile coverage could be patchy, I wrote out what I thought were fairly realistic times for halfway, three-quarters, and the end of my run for my mum and partner to work off. 
At 5am my alarm went off and I quietly dressed and popped my pack on and crept out of the house. The beauty of this run is that it starts 1k from the house. I jogged to the start, popped on the head torch and pressed start on my watch. It was an hour or so before the sun started to come up. I came out of the crater rim track still in the pitch black. I stumbled across a freedom camper who was just up for the day lighting up his first ciggy. He looked startled to see me and said perhaps I should wait for the sun to come up. I laughed and carried on running. I knew the section of the trail like I knew my own back garden, so I trotted along under the power of my headlamp, ticking away the kilometres at around 10 kilometres. I looked up and wow, I've seen so many spectacular sunrises, but this one was quite literally breathtaking. I did a giddy squeal, took a handful of photos and carried on. As the sun came up, I bathed in the chatter of the birds, waking up in the smells of the damp native forest, pure bliss. Before long, I ran out of trail and had to join back up with the road for a small section. I dropped into a comfortable pace to stretch out my legs ahead of what I knew would be a good grunt. At the 20k mark, I had made it back to the trail and to the start of the Teatapataka track, a section of trail that takes you along the summit line of some of the Banks Peninsula's tallest mountains. I was still feeling fresh at this point. I knew I had signal here, so I flicked off a message to my other half so I knew how I was tracking against the schedule, and I trotted on. The kilometres ticked by, and I absorbed every bit of my surroundings, finding peace and solitude a balm to my frantic work and home life. Just after I'd passed the historic pack horse hut, I saw another trail runner. He was coming up behind me, and he was gaining. I knew I still had a fair few kilometres to go, so I had to disengage my inner hunt-down mode and keep my sustainable pace and let him pass. He grunted on his way past as I gave him a friendly hello, and off he went into the native bush and mountain beyond. A few kilometres later, as I was about to summit Mount Herbert, which is the tallest mountain on the Banks Peninsula, he was descending off the summit. This time he stopped and said, not far now, you must have started early. I smiled and replied, yes, but I've got a wee way to go yet. He looked at me and said, where are you headed? I replied, the hilltop tavern. A few seconds passed and he said, oh, that's a good mission. Where did you start from? Kashmir, I replied. The look of utter astonishment on his face was enough to (laughs) give me a good buzz. So I said quick goodbyes and took off into the now rapidly descending cloud cover. I knew I had to be fairly careful for the next few kilometres as the cloud cover had gotten so dense that visibility was limited to 100 metres. Luckily the marker posts had recently been replaced and I managed to keep the not very well worn track off the backside of the stomach. To this point, although I had already sent a few texts to update my location, I hadn't really paid much attention to the actual time. I had planned for my parents to bet the Port Levy saddle in what I thought was a realistic window, but when I looked at my watch I realised I was an hour ahead of schedule. I had one litre of water left and it wasn't going to be enough to get me to the finish. In my mind I knew I'd have to wait for them. I'd have to throw on my survival blanket, stay warm and hope I didn't seize up or get cold. As I came round to the saddle my heart did a leap. There in the cloudy distance were my parents sitting in their car trying to keep warm. They'd figured out I was making good time and decided to get there early. Mum immediately got to work filling up my bladder and checking I was still in one piece. My dad looked at me with excited eyes and a proud look. I gave them my biggest hug and I said I've got this, see you at home and I ran off into the clouds. From this point, I'd worked out that I had 15 kilometres of running to go, 10 kilometres of it was trail that I'd never seen before. This was exciting, even though the clouds were low and there was not a view to be had. I plugged in my headphones and cranked up the tunes. My grin was a mile wide. I was having so much fun. Coming up to the finish line, the 50 kilometre marker that promised to be the Hilltop Tavern, which was currently closed for (gasps) a refurb, so no hot chips. That would be... I I hope she knew that in advance. <laughs> oh, I looked down at my watch and I thought, this can't be right. My watch read 48 kilometres. But the trail directory said 50 kilometres. I wanted 50 kilometres. My partner and five year old at this point could see me coming and were starting to cheer. I did what 
any sane person did. She went straight up the Dave, mate. She went straight up the <laughs> she Dave. Did. I turned right instead of left, told Siri to message to the other half to tell him that I couldn't finish yet. I was two kilometers short. <laughs> so in true straight up the Dave style, I proceeded to run the two kilometers around the hilltop summit and the tavern car park. It wasn't the sunrise, the company, or lack of, or the distance that made this my greatest run ever. It was ticking off my bucket list with my loving family there to support me and knowing that my dad had witnessed it. 50 kilometers, 2,356 meters of elevation gain, and to date, first non-female FKT. Oh, Jenny. Wow. I tell you what, I got all the feels in that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that was amazing. It's a roller Thank coaster. You. It was. And I think... It, it's quite it's quite nice when you to get that sort of validation from others, you know, especially if someone passes you and and, and you're on a longer mission and they kind yeah. of look at you and go, "Oh my god, that's yeah, yeah, beautiful, Jenny. Thank you so much. That was um, lovely. And and again, we don't read these before we mm. think, but how appropriate. So how appropriate. you know, yeah. Thanks for sending that in, Jenny. And um, what a great partner GRE to our conversation with Amy and so just a note on mm. straight up the Dave mm. so we must we a lot of you know some of you won't um, to go straight up the Dave is we have a friend the Dave Jack and he he will not stand with a 20.99 kilometer run no. if 21 is on the cards and and that that distance will be made up at the finish and that's in fact called, he'll do 21.1 yes 21 <laughs> For the half. For the half. That is called going straight up the Dave. Yep. Um, so it, it it originated in the Riverhead car park where we are. Where we're sitting, where right, we're now. sitting right now. Uh, where he would run straight up the Dave, straight past the cars, up the road to get the distance and then come back. So that's what straight up the Dave is. Anyway, thank you, Jenny. The rest of you, keep sending them in. Um, that moment that you straight up the Dave or whatever it took to make it your greatest run ever. Dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Okay. On with, with that, that chat. On with that chat with Amy Whitehead. Amy is a quantitative ecologist. She is a trail runner, adventurer, grew up in Tiano, and has taken on board what uh, she has coined as the Adventure for Dementia, which is directly raising money for a specific organisation, which is Dementia Canterbury, um, in memory of her aunt Joni. She's adding one loop. I, a month onto what you hear about uh, a very aptly named trail, and um, this is an amazing conversation with someone who's who's getting out there and and doing the good thing for those she she loves and cares about. So, without further delay, enjoy. Dirt Church Radio. Amy Whitehead, welcome to Dirt Church Radio. Thank you very much, guys. Pipeline of pain. It's quite a uh, that that's a title that um. <laughs> It promises a lot. Yeah, and it delivers. <laughs> I mean, I, I got to start there. Um, tell us, tell us about the pipeline of pain and and how how it same so came to be named and and what the heck you're doing around there. So the pipeline of pain uh, is a wild things route uh, set by Tony Sharp. So he named it ah, very aptly, I should say. Um, and it's a five-kilometre loop in the Port Hills in Christchurch that uh, has a whopping 480 metres of elevation um, and descent, so you go up and down at elevation. Um, and it goes, for those of people that are familiar with Christchurch, it goes up um, 
a gas pipeline that starts at the bottom of the gondola, drops into Littleton, comes back up um, the Stanhelm's track and then back down the bridle path. So it's a, a nice little sort of figure of eight, um, yeah, that certainly packs a punch. And, uh, I mean, prior to this year, had you spent much time, um, you know, treading that pipeline of pain? I'd done it once in, I think, January 2021, and I'd promptly forgotten how hideous it was, <laughs> uh, which meant when I decided to, to take on this current challenge, I really hadn't thought it through. I mean... Those challenges are often, I, I've made a career on not really thinking things through. Um, whatever possessed you to sort of take on sort of increasing laps of the pipeline of pain uh, according to the month? Well, it's entirely your fault. Well, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's my, it's fault, it's my fault. Not your, not, well, <laughs> we'll go with that. No, back in, I think it was December 2021, I was... Uh, listening to one of your episodes with Madeline Collins. Um, and she was doing a similar thing um, up in Auckland. And at the time I was like, wow, that's ridiculous, but kind of cool. And then I forgot about it. Uh, and then about a year later, my aunt passed away from dementia, early onset dementia. Um, and my uncle decided, uh, so her husband decided that he was going to ride uh, to row as a fundraiser um, and sort of, you know, in memory of uh, my aunt Joni. And I was like, oh, I should. That kind of inspired me to do, you know, something. And I thought, well, shit, that thing that Madeline did was super cool. wonder if I could recreate it here in Christchurch. And then it snowballed out of control pretty quickly. Um, and again, yeah, I hadn't thought it through. But as you say, Matt, that's kind of, you know, how some of these best things come about. Mm. It's interesting that well, it's not interesting. It's it's tragic and it's uh, harrowing that your aunt Joni passed away from dementia. And it, I mean, for those who it'd be good to explain, if you wouldn't mind, for those who don't know, I guess like any condition that affects our function and our cognition, there's a lot of sort of misunderstanding and stigma around dementia, and it, that word gets thrown out a lot you know i'm demented today or you know this person's can you explain i mean the you know when someone's talking about early onset dementia or passing away from dementia what's 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 happening there so for, i mean it's different for every um you know dementia patient as often as the case with many diseases but but joni um so she was uh, she was 66 when she died but she was had probably been suffering for for I don't know, maybe 10 years. And it was a, a slow, it started out as a, quite a slow decline. You know, she'd start to forget things. She'd, um, you know, couldn't remember people's names. Um, but it, the uh, type of dementia she had sort of progressed quite rapidly to the point where uh, prior to her death, she was actually in a um, rest home. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't, you know, do any of the kind of things. Um, and it was pretty, pretty hard to watch. I... Um, kind of struggled with how to help Joni and my uncle Pete like it's a it's a really hard thing you know to watch someone decline like that but it's really hard to know what to do and how you can best help and um the Dementia Canterbury who are one of the support agencies in New Zealand who 
can help support uh, families and patients going through that kind of dementia progression, uh, we're a really helpful resource for them. And so uh, I really wanted to help support Dementia Canterbury in the way that they support uh, families going through this, this tragedy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really hard, it's a progressive thing, you know, and sometimes, you know, people will have good days and, and bad days and there'll be things that trigger memories like a lot of, for a lot of people, I think um, music can be something that brings back memories. Um, and I, it's, it's, I guess, important to, to kind of remember that people with dementia are still there. There's still, those personalities are still there. It's just, you know, finding the things that bring those people back. Um, the best that we can is pretty cool. So mm. it's it, it's horrible, isn't it? One of the one of the main sort of and there's the acronym BPSD and it's behavioural and personality changes secondary to dementia. Um, and I think again, that's a thing that a lot of people don't recognise about this illness. That not only does it make you a little bit sort of you know people say oh you know someone goes a bit dotty or they forget you know they that's right they forget the dog's name or or whatever but it has some quite serious changes to people's personality and and their and their behavior which can be very distressing for loved ones and family right yeah that's right i mean i think uh in joni's case that wasn't as apparent as it had can be for others but certainly um you know people can become quite frustrated with the fact that they can't remember or they they don't know how to do things anymore and you know that frustration is often taken out on family members um and then you know vice versa if you're a family member who's trying to support someone it can be super frustrating when you can't you know you kind of expect that someone should be able to do something they've always done and that can be a really hard thing as well to kind of find that balance um you know to support people um one of the things that Dementia Canterbury is really good at as well as supporting caregivers, you know, things like respite care um, and uh, information about kind of how to deal with some of those things that are going to happen, you know, as the, as the disease progresses. So um, having those support networks can be, yeah, super helpful. Mm. So the, I mean, that's part of why you're doing what you're doing, right, is to support and, and raise awareness about the work that they do and the important work that they do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of it is about awareness raising, as you say, and it's really interesting as I've sort of started on this journey um, talking to people about dementia and, you know, almost everyone has a story. It's their grandmother, it's, you know, their um, parents, an aunt, you know, great uncle. Yeah, it's it's such a common thing. I think about 70,000 people in New Zealand currently have uh diagnosed with dementia so it's you know it's pretty prevalent um amongst the community and uh you know becoming more common i think in the in the younger generations as well which is you know something that we don't always think about particularly mm-hmm. to you know people um like carl Heyman, um you know so yeah. sports related dementia um mm-hmm. it's becoming a bigger thing as well i guess with the higher prevalence of contact sports mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, sort of tangentially, but um, Peter Snell, so Peter Snell, the great Kiwi Olympian, for those of you who don't know, um, triple Olympic gold medalist, he had dementia in his family. And so when we went to visit him um, at his home in Texas, it was something that he was conscious of. And so he would engage in 
exercises, brain exercises, um, you know, out of kind of an effort to do what he could um, in that regard. So he, yeah, he, he would always be trying to learn new things and um, do new things and, and, and keep using his brain even in, you know, his, he was retired by then. But um, yeah, so that, there, are, there are some things that we can do, aren't there? Aren't there? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think one of the things is uh, they say is uh, things that are good for your heart are also good for your brain. So keeping active, you know, eating well, sleeping properly, all those types of things um, are all going to be beneficial for your brain health. So, you know, the more you can do in those spaces, um, you know, potentially the better off you're going to be. Mm. You know, for all of the things, not only brain health, but just physical health and mental health, all of those things are going to benefit. Mm. Why do you think we're starting to see, and I, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, you know, I don't wish to uh, put a burden of kind of, you know, that you're not the, 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 the queen of, of dementia research or anything like that, but why do you think we're starting to see a prevalence of dementia in younger adults? Um, as you say, I'm definitely not an expert in this space, but I wonder if it's... Um, a little bit about better diagnosis and better recognition of those um, symptoms, mm. uh, you know, may well be part of it. Um, yeah, I don't really know enough mm. about it to, to be able to confidently say, uh, for sure. I guess an aging population too, you know, we're living longer. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we're not dying from things that we used to die of, so therefore there's more of us around older and so on. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Talk us through, I mean, you've mentioned um, Madeline, and um, so we can all, I think we can blame her. Let's, let's go Rather than blame me. Yeah. 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 I know we can blame you too. Okay, cool. Yeah. But we'll mainly blame Madeline. So um, you hear this idea, you want to do something. How did you go from that to choosing this particular um, you know, course of action? Uh, with not enough thought. But anyway, I was out walking with uh, my partner and the dog. Uh, must have been December 2022, so just after Joni had passed away. And I yeah. was like, oh, you know, I want to do something. I was like, what do you reckon if I do something like what Madeline did? And he kind of rolled his eyes at me and thought, thought I was nuts. Um, and this is where another one of your guests uh, comes into the picture. Also her fault. Um I was currently doing some, well, at the time I was doing some mindset coaching with uh, Tanya Bottomley. Uh, and I, so I emailed Tanya, I was like, what do you think of this crazy idea? And she's like, oh my God, go for it. And then it, and then it spiraled out of control. So the, um, yeah, pretty quickly kind of was like, right, I need a route. Let's do something that's 5K because it sounds like a nice round number. The pipeline of pain. I think I searched on the Wild Things site and I was like, what's a, what's a nice 5K loop in Christchurch? And that one was exactly five kilometres. And I was like, surely that'll be fine. That's 60 kilometres in December. I can do 60 kilometres. But yeah, I hadn't really thought about the elevation. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, I think now we've established we've got Madeline, we've got you, Matt, we've got... Um, Tanya and we've got Tony Sharp, of course. Can't yeah. forget Tony. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, so there's there's a lot of people who have a lot of responsible, a lot of questions to answer. But um, so uh, you said you know quickly spiraled out of control. But the thing about these sorts of challenges is you know January comes along and you can do one and ah, yeah. pff, how hard's it going to be? Exactly. Like, Although I did January and I was like, oh dear, what have I done? <laughs> but then so January knew- was better. Yeah. So. Yeah. It is that kind of death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? I remember one year I thought I'll do one push-up on January 1st, two on January 2nd. I think I quit in September. I was like, I just can't do this anymore. That's just such a stupid idea, you know, and it's I just like it was eating into my work day, you know, like I've got to go do press-ups. Um <laughs> By December, that's all you're doing. Absolutely, press-ups all day. Left my family day. and job and just doing press ups <laughs> in a caravan. Um, let, I mean, let's rewind back. You said I can do sixty k. What is your? Everyone has a, a. Are you someone that was drawn to the sport for the cause, or are you someone who was engaged in the sport and community and then decided that, you know, obviously this is a a, a worthy uh, course of advocacy. I, bit of a backstory. I grew up in Tiana. Um, so Kepler has always been a thing in my life. Uh, my dad ran the first Kepler. My stepdad was a uh, race director for a very long time. So I spent a lot of time sort of involved with the trail community. Um, not as a runner, but sort of peripherally on the side. Um, I ran the grant a couple of times when I worked for Doc and I was fit and didn't have to train. So it was kind of, you know, doable. And then I stopped running. I, I don't know. Life got in the way and I didn't really do anything for a long time. And then lockdown came along. And like, you know, so many of us around the country, I was like, what can I do? Well, from my house, I can nearly run to the Port Hills. Um, and I, I was like, right, I'm going to be sensible. Because I'd sort of done a little bit of running in between, but I'd, you know, you always get injured because you get, you're a bit gung-ho and you think you can do stuff and then you know you pull a calf muscle or something so i was all right i'm gonna do a a catch to 5k during lockdown um and then i did a a, um like a 10 kilometer training plan and then a half marathon training plan and then i trained to uh i was gonna do the mototapu marathon in 2021 and that was cancelled uh so i did my own marathon in the port hills um and so I'd sort of found the Wild Things directory. Um, so I guess we can blame Mel and Robin here as well, seeing we're blaming all the people. Add, add them to the list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and had kind of fallen back in love with trail running. And I think had lockdown not happened, that I probably, you know, wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, sort of when it came time to for this – you know, when I decided I was going to do this thing, I had just, I think I'd just run Kepler. Maybe that was the year before. No, that was that was January 2022, the December, you know, the 2021 Kepler that was supposed to be in, well, ended up being in 2022. Anyway, so I knew I could run 60 kilometres because I'd done Kepler. How was um, it, I mean, how was it growing up in a family that was so intimately involved with Kepler? I mean, and I guess your dad and you and your stepdad were involved when it was the uh, 
cotton shirt, you know, steel canteen, <laughs> and raro. six beers at the top, and, and whatever. <laughs> what was that like? It was pretty cool. I don't think I really realised how big a thing it was at the time. I mean, I was, would have been eight in 1988 when they ran the first one um the first year they did it the track across the top wasn't actually finished and so dad did really well because he was a tramper and used to being off track and and then i think the next year he was i don't know an hour faster but 60 places slower because you know suddenly the track was there and it, it became a runner's race but yeah every year you know we were in, as kids were involved at eight stations um at some point you know handing out bananas on the radio. I hate um, rotten bananas because of that, because we always had all the leftover bananas in our garage that I had to peel and freeze, and it was oh, disgusting. Matt's reaching at this That's point. It's horrid. Oh, it's feral, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that is absolutely disgusting. Like, I'm sorry if there's one note for any race is take that cut-in-half banana and just... Chuck it in the bin. <laughs> That's the thing that you can... Oh, they've got a lot of tests. It, it's, it's so horrible. <laughs> so I can't... I'm not even joking. Like, it's horror. It goes brown. It's slimy. It sucks. Yeah, it smells disgusting. You're a terrible person if you eat them. Like, <laughs> awful. Yeah, hope you're oh, listening. no. Race directors. Oh, no. no, no. I mean, but that's the thing, isn't it? Often when you... And it's so it's such a conceit, isn't it? That because Eugene and I both love Kepler, we've been down there a bunch. You know, we've had our ups and downs with that race, certainly. And um, you know, we've done a bunch of podcasts down there, and 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 are very fond. But I think if it was something that you kind of grew up with, and it was just that like couple of long weekends in December, and then a, a, you know a month of peeling rotten bananas <laughs> in the garage. <laughs> Yeah. You might not have that love. Well, it was super cool to go back and do it um, as a competitor and see mm. all of the same people at the aid stations that were there when I was a kid. Like, you know, it's just such a community thing. Um, and like all my family hang out at Motorra every year. Um, and so that was super cool to, to see that and sort of see it from the other side. Um, such a cool event. I want to go and do it again. Mm. I should say, um, Eugene won't know this, but him and I had a sprint finish at the, might have been the 2021. To be fair, you were doing Kepler and I was doing the Grunt and you didn't know that we were racing, but I totally beat you. Well, I'm glad of that. And I just like to say for the record, I would not have been sprinting. Um, <laughs> I mean, I use the word sprint. <laughs> oh, there we go. Ah, oh, so there, there we go. So was that, so 2021. Um I think it was 2020. 2020. Okay. Um, was that, was that, I'm just trying to think which year that was. That was 2020. It wasn't the swimming year. It was the yeah. one between the swimming year and the uh, heat wave. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Oh, well. Well, well congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> Have a banana. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and a slimy jelly bean. Oh yeah, was that? Yeah, I suppose you could have had bananas in your back pocket and throwing peels out and making people slip <laughs> over. Mm, I'm on to you. Um, but that's the thing, isn't it? You know, as Matt said, we we adore Kepler, and um, you know, we've we we go down there and we sort of, um, you know, 
are, are beneficiaries of that whole community spirit, but you've been in amongst it. Um, and I love you saying the same people were involved because that's, I mean, that, that was my view, but it's lovely to actually hear that that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's such a small community and everyone turns up on race day yeah. in some form, you know, and, it's, yeah. you know, some of those people, yeah, will have been there from the start. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's yeah. that whole thing, isn't there, of wandering around town and everyone just goes, well, people, we were out for a run, weren't we, the morning before, <laughs> and old mate stops, you guys doing the Kepler? You know, of course, it's just everyone in town, It's it sort of takes over the whole town and there's no sort of, um, you know, everyone's into it. There's not sort of people like, oh, God, you know, there's dickhead runners are in town i'm sure there must be one or two but it's like the whole town embraces it, isn't it yeah yeah i mean it's it's one of the big events of the t- you know for the year for the town so yeah yeah that's great yeah when you set out to engage i mean i guess this is the thing right because of social media and proliferation of things like wild things and increased advocacy and and the ability to disseminate things seems like lots of people have a cause that they are advocating for or trying to you know raise awareness for or money what were you specifically i mean and and the derigor one is mental health right it seems like every and this is not not a shot at anyone every man and their grandmother is raising money for mental health or awareness for mental health or something and what did you specifically set out to achieve in terms of the sort of adventure for dementia? Um, part of it was a commitment device for me to make sure that I finished the thing because I thought, well, if I don't have some reason to do this, the likelihood that I bail in April or May or June is high. So from a selfish reason, um, it was yeah, a bit of a commitment device. But I was hoping to... Um, raise money to help support Dementia Canterbury and the the work that they do. Um, and I've been absolutely blown away by how well it has gone. From a, I sort of didn't really advertise it very well at the start, partly because I was a little bit worried that I wouldn't be able to. I didn't know if I could do it, and so I sort of didn't really put myself out there. Um, being in social media and that I, is not a comfortable space for me. Um, so it's taken me a bit to kind of grow into to getting used to doing that. Um, but, yeah, the support has been phenomenal. Um, we've had, in terms of both uh, from a financial point of view, I think we're sitting at about $6,500 at the moment, which is amazing. Fantastic. Right. Um, but also just people show up. So I, So I have been doing this on the first Saturday of the month uh throughout the year and we had 40 people show up on the for october it was amazing wow um there's one guy in particular amazing shout out to ken who i didn't really know before this started we sort of trained in the same group but i'd never really chatted to him he turned up in may and was like oh i don't know i'll come along for some laps did all five all six in june all seven in july I haven't run a lap by myself since because he's done every lap since May. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. And, um, yeah, yeah, super cool to have, you know, lots of people come out that don't um, 
aren't really runners, but they want to see what I'm doing and just come out for a half a lap or a lap. Um, mm. So many dogs as well. It's great fun. <laughs> 40 people. That's yeah, 40, 40 people. people. I mean, they didn't all do all 10 laps. Sure. But, no, no, yeah. no. No, but that's amazing. I mean, that must just be, God, I think it'd be balling. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool too because um, Jules from Further Faster, who, well, those guys are amazing, right? Um, yeah. She organised a competition for October where they gave away some race entries. So we had a couple of entries to the Crater Rim Ultra, which was just this past weekend, uh, Mission Mount Summers and Valley Ultra. Um, so she had all these things out in the in the shrubbery. And uh, so we had a, had a bit of a Rogaine on at the same time looking for for hidden prizes which was super fun so yeah it's been great to have further faster on board as well because yeah those guys are awesome mm, absolutely so i mean that was 10 you've got a couple of weeks and you're gonna have to do 11. 11. do you do you like do you train for it or like how would you just show up and do it well i kind of work on the theory that Last month's one was training for this month. Yeah. I mean, I do a little bit of stuff in between, but by the time you have, you know, a tape a week and then a recovery week, it's only left a couple of weeks in between to yeah. kind of, you know, do a few runs and walk up a hill. Yeah, and I'm guessing you don't hit that particular track. No. In between. <laughs> I may never do it again, but after you notice it. It's funny that, isn't it? How do you keep... How do you keep fresh, like um, having just done an event and, and you know, kudos to anyone who does a backyard ultramarathon, but having just done an event which was essentially like running circles around a lake for a long time and thinking about the next thing that I'm doing, which is running circles around a forest. And I'm like, right, I should, you know, I'm back into it. I don't want to run a circle ever again. <laughs> I've just sort of gone from being very circle positive to being quite circle avoidant, you know, like um, how, do, how do you maintain that sort of, how do you maintain the freshness? I don't know. I always thought these kind of lap things were a really dumb idea and really boring. Um, so it intrigues me that that's what I decided to do. Um, but I mean, I think part of it is I'm doing it, you know, for a course. So there's that helps i think if i was just doing it for fun um it might be a bit harder um but i don't know i quite i'm quite liking the challenge of it it's you know i don't i mean I, at this point i'm pretty sure i can finish it but i certainly didn't think that at the start mm. and i want to see how far i can go and it's not the distance so much it's the climbing that is the issue to be honest yeah it's yeah. um so, you know, last month was 10 laps. It was 50 kilometres, but it was 4,839 metres, which is quite a lot. Yeah. How were the legs afterwards? Surprisingly fine. We've got yeah. stairs at work, and Monday was interesting, but Tuesday was fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's the whole symbolism too, isn't there, of you taking on this challenge that gets progressively worse. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I need, you know, more support as I go on because it's mm. it's harder. I mean, we now have a whole um, team of people with an aid station set up at the bottom and there's, you know, feeding me snacks and refilling my drink bottles. And I think if I didn't have people out doing laps with me, it would be mentally very challenging 
Mm. But yeah, so having that support of people coming along and helping out is um, amazing. But yeah, yeah, I think that was one of the things that appealed to me as well with this sort of thing was that progression really mirrors the progression of dementia. Although I guess in some ways it's the inverse, like the suffering for you will recede and your functioning whilst, I mean, you know, you might only uh, demand to walk downstairs on Mondays. Um, you're actually increasing your function. You're increasing your cognitive elasticity and availability with with this with this challenge and that's the you know I think about some of the people that I've worked with over the years who've had dementia and just you see that it it, it steals people away you know and there's a pe- there's a person there but it wasn't that person that they you know that they knew or that they that they thought they were or that who they were yeah you're right I hadn't really thought about the the kind of yeah, that inverse thing. Um, yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it, actually. It's not a challenge to you. It's a celebration. I think there's the, we're all, we're, we've all got one take. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think like I've, you know, I think I've grown a lot through this process. Mm. So it's, you know, there's there's both of those things going on. It's, um, mm. yeah, it's certainly been an interesting thing. It's, um I do not want well, no, I have often struggled with the kind of like social anxiety and things. And I think this has been really good uh, for me in that respect, because it's, I've had to interact with lots of people, particularly mm-hmm. in the social media space, but also, you know, out on the hill, um, chatting to you guys. These are not things that I would have been particularly comfortable with a year ago. So yeah, it's been, there's been a lot of growth in that space for me, which has been mm-hmm. super cool. So I'm definitely benefiting from this. And I like thighs of steel, so. (laughs) Thighs of steel. Also, uh, when we think about what is, you know, again, and I am someone who I've taken to doing the wordle first thing every morning because it is a way to wake my brain up and I'm worried about, I'm worried about getting dementia. Like it it, it frightens me, the thought that I will have cognitive, I may have, I may have cognitive decline. Uh, so I've taken to kind of doing stuff to prompt myself in my middle age, you know, not to get a bit, just any little bit helps. But there's that thing that also, when you think about that sort of self or preventative prophylactic care, you know, connection with other people, social engagement, emotional engagement, those pathways in the brain that are stimulated when we do these things and, and running is a great medium for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, it's always interesting the kind of chats you have with people when you're running that are not the kind of chats you'd be, you'd have in everyday life. And I love that. Mm. You know? It's um, mm. yeah, super cool. The things that you find out about people out in the trail. Absolutely. Absolutely. That reintroduction to running i'm intrigued by that it's i mean i've, I've been a lifelong runner so I, I haven't gone through that but um i was fascinated when so many people took up running at lockdown and for you it was taking it taking it back up 
But lots of people I know who took up running at that time are no longer running. Why do you think you're still running? This challenge aside. <laughs> um, I just really enjoy it. And it's a chance to, particularly trails. I'm not, not interested in the road really, except as a vehicle to get to the trails. Um, but it's just a great way to explore. Um, it was interesting when I moved to Christchurch, you know, having come from Tiana, I was um, surrounded by mountains. I was like, oh, Christchurch just got flat. It's boring. Like, how wrong was I? Like, the Port Hills, uh, a 10-minute run from my house, and then you've got endless trails. Um, and so it's just a neat way to get outside, um, you know, be in nature, great mental health boost. Um, just ticks all of those boxes, really. And I think, had I not found the wild things um, site, I might have fallen out of kind of trail running, I think. But it's just such a great resource. Um, mm, absolutely. You know, new places to go. Although I did in- find myself in a cut over pine forest in the weekend, which was not what I was expecting. <laughs> Should have read the notes better. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, just such a great resource, great way to, to get out and, and find new places. So, love yeah. It. And you've mentioned a couple of times um, people that you've trained with, like Ken, for instance, but is there, is there a crew that who you run with regularly or are you mostly running on your own? Again, this challenge aside. I'm mostly running on my own. Um, that's sort of, I'm going to say my happy space, but not that running with other people is un- unhappy. Um, but it's just a, a chance to kind of, for me to reflect, I think. I also listen to a yeah. lot of podcasts, you guys included. Um, so it's a nice way to kind of catch up on stuff. Um, but I, over the last couple of years, I've been training with Team CP, who are an mm-hmm. endurance uh, crew down here and um, torturous uh, training sessions with Jacob. Um, but they're great. You know, they're lots of hill repeats. Uh, which is always good fun. Is that as a group you do them? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, who reps with a group? That's that's really fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's evil, is Jacob, but we love him. <laughs> Are we putting him on our list of people that we blame? Yeah, for? you've got oh, a yeah, long list of people to blame. Keep going. <laughs> How important is that? How you know has that been a part of why you kept why you've kept going? Sort of that involvement with. And I noticed you said too about um, one of the things about the challenge was um, accountability. And, you know, I guess being in a, a, a team as well brings with it accountability. It's like you yeah, you need to be in shape to keep going back to those reps so otherwise it's going to show or whatever, you know, how it is. Yeah. Is, that, is that a motivator for you? I think it is. It's, it's also, you know, you know at 6 o'clock on a Thursday night they're all going to be there and so that's a a good reason to to get out the door and go because it's hard to convince yourself to do hill repeats by yourself. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's I I sort of started training with those guys when I did the first when I ran Kepler, and so having someone you know write your plan turns up on your phone, you know exactly what to do um, is super helpful and certainly keeps me accountable um Mm. but also just having a bit of a varied kind of mix of things to do bit of speed work bit of hill work 
some long runs keeps things yeah. interesting so yeah I've, yeah I've really enjoyed that lots of strength stuff actually too which is yeah. good there's a whole sort of value of sort of basically outsourcing that oh, you don't have to think about oh what what should i do to be you know. yeah yeah it's yeah. It, that's interesting isn't it the that like you're right eugene that outsourcing in terms of the, this is something for for many of us who are enthusiastic amateurs we have it seems like everyone's job's just getting more demanding and less time and stealing away these moments for you know you diary it eh? you, you diary this time and it's a i mean gosh that's a that's a that's a privileged position to be in you can diary time to have you space and i love the fact that I, you know i never was someone who i thought i would either benefit from or be able to engage with long-term a coach in a relationship and what the relationship gives you is that like I said, the accountability, but also that thing of you look at your your app and you're like, sweet, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, makes life so much easier. Just to, yeah, be able to to know that this is the plan and this is, you know, kind of where we're heading and and how to get there. I mean, I would have had no idea how to train for Kepler otherwise. Anyways, like, how do you how do you train for something like that if you have never done it before? I've made a Good tradition honest. of doing it poorly. Uh, <laughs> there is that. Um, you, what's you? What are you doing when you're not running up, uh, up and down a trail? Um, and when you do have to go to work on Monday, what's what's that? Uh, so I'm a quantitative ecologist uh, oh. at Manaki Fenua Land Care Research, yep. uh, which basically means mostly playing with numbers and sitting behind a desk and not going outside. Um, although. I'm trying to get more into the outside again, but sort of in the pest space. So looking at impacts of um, things like deer, um, some of the mammalian predators on native species, mm -hmm. both plants and animals, and sort of how we can improve outcomes for biodiversity. In the world. Yeah, yeah. Is John Leithwick involved with your? No. Uh, he used to work. For Manaki Fenua. Um he doesn't anymore. He's retired, but I've actually him and I have just published a paper today. So go us. Oh, there you go. Yeah. What was that on? Uh, trying to work out the best places to do uh, conservation in Manawatu. Right. So if you're going to protect yeah. the bits that aren't already protected, which are the bits you should pick? Yeah. What's the answer? Uh, the small swampy stuff of which there's not much left. Yeah. See, I'd say just yeah. put a fence around Manawatu. Yeah. Lid. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> I'm going to get rid of all the beasties, though. Uh, pardon me? You get rid of all the um, mammalian beasties. Well, they're in mm. there with everyone. All oh, right, so we're just keeping, and we don't care about the stuff that's in the manager. Not caring so hard. That's harsh. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, if I was going to think about what type of a quad ecologist i am i'm more of a quantitate a qualitative ecologist right. i'm more of a feelings ecologist not not numbers and i just say just put a fence around one or two lid on top of it okay. so early on early on you <laughs> alienated the entire west coast i've done that yes um yeah and now i think you've just fired shots at manawatu so um come, good work come for me yep <laughs> Um, so, what got you? What got you into that into that particular field? I mean, growing up in Tiano, I guess uh, was 
maybe a big thing, but yeah, what, what sort of got you into that area of work? Yeah, absolutely. Growing up in Tiana. Um, I grew up on a farm, but my parents were super keen trampers. And so we spent, you know, most of my childhood out the bush doing some kind of chasing something. Um, and then because I, uh, mum worked for doc for a while as well. And so I spent my summers at university working for doc, um, for the Takahe team and black stilts up in the McKenzie country. Um, which was super cool. Uh, also, when I was 14, I dissected 500-something, 553 European perch to see whether they ate um, giant kokobu. <laughs> so giant kokobu are one of our whitebait species that live yeah. in land, so they, they can get quite big. But the European perch are uh, obviously introduced from Europe, and they lived in a lake next to our house. And Dad and I were, were like, well, we wonder if perch eat giant kokobu so we cut up a lot and it turned out they didn't oh so but the first good. the first 200 you were like i'm still not sure let's do another 350 yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. so that, that was a formative science you know experiment yeah yeah and i mean we we have um again famously a lot of bad animal stories on dcr you must have had some pretty cool animal encounters in your time. Absolutely. I've been pretty lucky with the places I've worked. So with Takahaya, amazing. Um, giant blue bukiko on steroids, really, but super cool. Um, pretty lucky to work with Kakapo as well. Um, and one of the coolest things I've seen was Richard Henry, who was one of the, um, the only birds that were saved from Fiordland yeah. and he was out there one day I was out on the island and he was sort of walking along the track and their instinct is to freeze when they see something they don't like um, because they would have been attacked by their only predators would have been aerial predators so you know the, uh-huh. the massive harsh eagle or maybe falcon and so they freeze and they think that you can't see them because they're camouflaged but this he was out in the middle of the track and so super obvious and then he started to do this funny sneaking thing where he was like you need to pick one foot up and he'd move real slow like creeping along and i'm like dude i can see you you're right in the middle of the track so that was pretty funny yeah so for, um, for those who might not be familiar with the you know avian species in new zealand kakapo what's a kakapo kakapo is a giant um flightless parrot that walks around at night so they're um, sort of three to four kilos, pretty hefty uh, dudes. Um, and they're bright green, but yeah, so perfectly camouflaged if they're under the ferns. Um, but yeah, amazing birds. Nocturnal, can climb trees, which is phenomenal. I've seen them climb out of a, a plywood box uh, where you know, you've got a, a 90 degree corner and they've basically just like somehow jimmied their way up the inside corner of a, a plywood box. Nothing wow. to hang on to. Little escape artist. Wow. And critically endangered. And critically endangered, yeah. I think there's somewhere in the order of 250 birds at the moment, which is yeah. the most there have been for decades. So, mm. you know, they're, they're doing okay. But is yeah. Richard Henry still with us? No, he passed no. a few years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, which is a shame. Right. He was a super cool bird. Yeah. Very important genetics. 
Mm. I've just, again, this is the thing, maybe you want to open the lid and throw me in with the people in Manawatu. I thought Richard Henry was a dude named Richard Henry. Well, he was. But there's a bird named Richard Henry. Yeah, there was. So Richard Henry, the person, um, was around in the late 1800s, I think. I'm making that up. But um, he spent years of his life moving Kakapo and Kiwi to a, an island that was free of stoats, uh, so one of the invasive mammalian predators. Um, I think he moved, I don't know, a couple of hundred birds, and then then he saw a stoat on his island and realised that it was all over, um, which was a real shame because he put so much work into it, and he was very, you know, one of the first people to to do that kind of translocation of birds to what he thought was a safe place, but... Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, if, it didn't you've, pan if out. you've seen, if you've seen one, it's not the only one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean they're yeah. phenomenal yeah. swimmers. So it's um, yeah, swim a long way, yeah. about five kilometers. Which yeah. Is yeah, a massive distance. Yeah. I had a, I'll tell a stoat encounter story. Why not? Um, I was in the Cascades in the Waitakere Ranges before they were shut down by the Coyote Dieback, and I'd been out running for maybe an hour and a half and I hadn't seen anyone and I'd had this delightful morning. It was cool. There was a kaka that had followed me for a while and I'd seen some North Island robins. So I was having this really beautiful moment and I came around this corner and the stoat ran in fr- across the track in front of me and I swore at it. <laughs> I won't, won't say what I said to it, but I basically told it where to go. Um, but at that moment, a tramper came around the corner as well and a little bit like Richard Henry, just stopped in his tracks thinking, who is this crazy, sweaty, hairy person swearing at me <laughs> on a track? And I and I was like, oh, look, I'm really sorry. I wasn't swearing at you. I was swearing at a stoat, realizing that mate didn't make it sound better. <laughs> so I just kind of like shimmied past him and carried on saying, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Don't swear at stoats. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Well, you can, but just you know, just be aware that people might get upset with you. I think it, the key to that is to put the word stoat somewhere in the implication. Oh, that's true. Mm. That would have helped. Yeah, yeah. That would have helped. You, you stoat? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. That's why I need to run with you. That's right. All the time. Yeah. You do, you do. But look, I mean, being flippant, and but it seems like these things are all kind of to my mind intertwined this lack of it's kind of you know we, we're in the space where we're paying less attention to the outdoors we're paying less attention to the world around us to the ecology to to everything um we're going outside less we're exercising less our brains are being uh, calcified by the supercomputers we carry around in our pockets, not to mention those we have on our wrists and, and, and everything. If you could, you know, and, and that has to contribute in later life, you're right, you know, and as Eugene said at the top, we're not designed to live to 110 necessarily with the conditions that we're putting on ourselves at the moment. Do you have a sort of a, a recipe that, that you follow for well-being, both sort of cognitively, functionally, and and physically. 
I think for me, getting outside, you know, into nature as much as I can is the most important thing. And sometimes, you know, that can be hard to fit into a week. Um, even if it's just going for a walk around the block at lunchtime or biking to work or, you know, getting out for a run. Um, those are the things that really help me make my heart sing, particularly if I can get out into the bush, you know, see some native birds. I miss native birds in Christchurch. They're, we don't have bell, tui. I don't have, a, I never see a bellbird in my garden. And I, that coming from Tiana, I find hard. So it's, I've got to get out and do stuff um, in the outside. We recently got a, a puppy who is delightful, but infuriating as puppies are. Um, but it's great because it means every morning I've got to t- take her out for a walk, um, even if it's just around the local park. And so, yeah, that's been a huge um, thing for me. Actually, just that kind of enforced going for a walk. Mm. It's great. It's amazing how those simple things that perhaps you take for granted, like the uh, outside my office window, I have these, it's like a, a, a piece of green space and there's two large kofi tree and they both just exploded in in flowers and the nectar and and there's a cohort of up to five or six tui that hang out and they're the they're they're such knuckleheads they're aggressive they (laughs) they quarrel they chase each other they chase other birds they're yappy they're you know they make the most amazing noises both lower and higher than we can hear so we only hear the bits in the middle that they sort of I guess choose to let us hear they have distinct calls and it's just such a um it's a lovely little micro pause for me in the day I'll turn around because I have a standing desk so I literally turn around put my put my uh elbows on the window and and, and watch the tui for like might be 30 seconds it might be a minute and just see what they're up to especially if it's getting sort of I've got to mute my zoom because the t- the the twoies are having a raru in the in in the kofi tree. It's 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 incredible. I am so jealous. <laughs> I wonder if they're doing the same to you. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, there's this guy. He's just aggressive. Just he's yappy. He talks at pitches I can't hear. Yeah, he seems to be fighting with people. I'm just going to stop and watch him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Amy, thank you. And when's your next, so when is your next um, couple of trips? That, so that we're recording, you two weeks away? Yeah, so it'll be the 4th of November. Um, so that'll be 55 kilometres, 5,300 metres. Um, and then December, is going to be the 2nd of December. So the same day as Kepler, same distance. But five thousand seven hundred meters. So, wow. I don't know what Kepler is. Is it two thousand something? It's it's well, depending on, and I don't want to get any heat from any listeners. Andrew McDowell, looking at you, um, it's around. It's 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 two and change. Yeah. So. So more than double the elevation of. Kepler. Almost three no, times. Nearly three times, actually. Yeah. Oosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, we'll let you get on and. Rec- you know, and prepare and recover. But what if if we were to find you, if we if if, if people wanted to go down and support you and, and run a couple of laps, how, how do they do that? Um, so the, we have a Facebook page, Adventure for Dementia 
Um, and they, I'll put up um, like event links for both November and December soon. Uh, but otherwise, just yeah, come down. I'll be there from dawn till midnight or something ridiculous um, on the fourth of November and the second of December. Uh, come down to the gondola. You'll you'll find our our aid station tent. I've been um, posting live tracking links as well. So if you want to, you know, if you're not in Christchurch and you want to watch me run laps around the pipe from the comfort of your own couch, uh, yeah, we can. You can do that too. Amazing, Amy. It just leaves us to ask you that question that we ask every person who comes on Dirt Church Radio, and that's Amy Whitehead. What's been your greatest run ever? Well, funnily enough, I actually found a half-written email for you guys that I'd written the other day. I'd never seen. Oh, I if know. you told us this at the beginning, we would have yeah, we would have deleted you. this entire conversation. <laughs> yeah, no. You could go to the Manawatu, get in the fence. <laughs> Sorry, Manawatu. My parents are actually from the Manawatu. I spent a couple of the best very, years very of my childhood in Manawatu. It was epic. Yeah, Milson represent. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, the thing sorry. that I started writing about uh, was Kepler twenty twenty one, which was in twenty twenty two. The one, the heat wave Kepler. The heat um, wave. You know, as, as we've sort of talked about already, it was such a cool thing for me to go back and um, and run it. You know, be on the other side of the fence, well, not the fence. There's no fence, but you know, the other side of the, the thing and see it. What was super cool about it um, was that as I was coming down that horrific bit from you know you come out of rocky point and you come get down to the lake and then there's a flat drag around to motor and i was um battling a little bit running um i've been following this lady for ages actually and it uh in a wild thing shirt and it turned out to be uh cell law because i saw mel coming towards her and i was like hang on a minute she looks similar. anyway those guys i was running with those guys and um i saw this kid running towards me i was like that looks a lot like my nephew who was eight, he'd run all the way from Motor Hour and we we're about two k's from Motor Hour. He's like, Auntie Amy, I had to come and find you because you're going so slow. Oh. What a toad. Killed him. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, after I nearly swore at him, we um, started running back and he sets off at like a full sprint. I was like, Zach, I cannot keep up with you. Um, and then... You know, full sprint doesn't last very long, maybe 200 metres. And then he's, he's puffed, so we're both walking, and uh, we get finally get to motor and he said, Granddad, Auntie Amy goes too fast. So it was super fun. It was just, like, nice to have family there. Um, such a battle for a motor around. It was 30 degrees. I was cooked. It, it was type two fun at that point, but so satisfying to to do it as a kid i would never have thought that i could have run kepler and so it was yeah it was cool to go back and actually finally take it off mm. how super special yeah. yeah and you turned around the mind of your nephew that's that's really important that's the win yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> you won that day brilliant hey thank you amy it's been an absolute delight to chat with you and um yeah all the best for the next two months um and yeah i'm sure you'll have a huge crowd mm. um, especially coming up in uh, december yeah, yeah thanks so much guys so there we go our first kōkako 
uh, encounter. Yes. <laughs> I like them more than Pukeko. I do like them more than Pukeko. And I was actually uh, chucking something in one of the bins at work the other day, and there was a Pukeko on the bin. On the bin? On the bin lip? I was approaching the bin lip. Yeah, yeah. Pukeko was on the bin lip. <gasps> Get a bit of a stare down. Ooh. And I hucked my plastic bag of rubbish at him. <laughs> off, he, off he flew, but he, he what, you know. Whoa. Yeah. There you go. There you go. They're coming for us. Um, I think it was the one that actually got you. He's probably. Yeah, he's stalking you now. Yeah. He's like, I've got one. I'm coming after the other one. <laughs> uh, there was some re- uh, bird encounters recorded on Strava last week in Auckland as well, so watch out. Mm. Mm. Um, look. That was amazing. Thank you, Amy. Um, we really, really appreciated that chat. And we appreciate you. Thanks very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. Like and follow if you fancy. And you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Have a read of them on the website. Get inspired and then send it into us, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, Currens and Ciali, and thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things. Stay tuned for our show in two weeks. We've got another great guest lined up. Hey, Kwanai. Hey, Kwanai. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>